John 21, 21, verses 1 through 19. Jesus appears to seven disciples. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus and Peter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me again for a brief word of prayer? Father, as we come to this passage, may your spirit be with us. May you help us to see what we need to see, hear what we need to hear. And may my words be useful to you and your people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
It is interesting to see that um, here as we wrap up our, our Dining with Jesus series. This is our last one, but we finally got, got to have breakfast. Um, I think it's interesting how often Jesus continued to meet with people over food. That meals are when businesses get done, when ideas get taken care of, when, when moments that need to be handled get handled. I think it's interesting also that Jesus chose to meet with Peter over a meal instead of a business arrangement. You see, Peter's actions and the rest of the disciples, it follows a very typical pattern for us. They had three years of intense spiritual highs and lows and, and, and journey. They had the buildup of the expectation that Jesus, the Messiah, had come. And then it culminated with the crucifixion. What? How could this be? How could their understanding, their dreams be shattered? And then there's the rumor of the resurrection, and then there's the appearance, one, two, and, and now ultimately three times that they've met with him. But it wasn't like they were hanging out with him every day like they, like they used to. It wasn't like they were traveling and building towards this new kingdom coming that they were anticipating. So what did they do? They just did what they always did. Uh, uh, what are we going to do, guys? Peter, I said, I guess, I guess I'm going to go back to work. Peter's actions follow a very typical human pattern. An intense spiritual experience soon fades, and one returns to the same things that he or she has always done before. Now, Peter's return to his previous life, previous life will be radically transformed um, his fishing expedition becomes a new experience of God's presence and God's abundance and ultimately God's calling on his life. You see, he was out fishing with his friends and he hadn't lost the touch. He still knew how to be a fisherman. He still knew where to go, but they came in with empty nets, which to be honest, if I'm very candid, I believe that's how all fishing expeditions occur. In my experience, fish are bought and not caught. Um, some people really like to go and do this um, thing. I don't have the patience, nor the temperament, and the friends. I lack the friends, too, because one time we were on a pier in our hometown of Venice, Florida, and they had caught all their bait. And I thought, how sad. These little captive fish. And so I started scooping them out, throwing them off the pier, saying, go free, go free. I was never invited again to go fishing. So Peter and the guys are coming in. It's nighttime is the best time to fish, early dawn, or late dusk. It, 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 it's, the sun's rising. It's not time to fish anymore. So they're coming in, and they're empty. And the man cries out, put your net in the water. They'd seen this before. They'd heard this story before. They put their net in the water, and all of a sudden, it was full. 153 full. I'm not sure how or why they came to that number or how, why that was that count or if there was any kind of a significant spiritual number. I don't know if anybody's lucky number is 153. I would not recommend playing the lottery at all, but if you do, that's eh, not going to get you anything. But still, what it got them was a net that should have burst. Nets that were bursting at the seams and a good haul. 
for their life. So what Peter's recognizing that his previous life is going to be radically transformed, his fishing expedition becomes a new experience of God's abundance to him. It reminded them of when they were at the wedding in Cana. And 120 to 180 gallons of wine were produced at the end of the party, back in chapter 2. Or it reminds them of God's abundance in chapter... When, when um, 12 baskets of food were collected after a meal of feeding 5,000. It even reminds them of what was recorded in Luke chapter 4, that first time that Jesus told them, put down your nets again. You see, that was the first time that Jesus called Peter into his service. And now here at the end, he does it again. The nets that had been empty when used under the disciples' own power are almost filled to bursting with a word from the risen Christ, who then prepares a meal for them. This late, this last breakfast, once again transforms a moment of insufficiency on their part into a feast with unexpected blessing made available for all. But before we go down that road, let's not get ahead of ourselves. How did we get here? How did we get to this moment where we have this special meal with the disciples, but also specifically with Peter? Well, in John 13, Jesus is in the Passover meal, and he's declared that somebody was going to betray him, and Peter's very anxious. Who? Who? And then we find out it's Judas, and he leaves. And now Peter starts, well, doing that thing that is very Peter. He starts to boast. I will follow you anywhere. I will even go to death. I will follow you even to death, Lord. Because he's braced for the fight. He's braced for the overthrow. He's ready to raise up weapons. He's ready to go against Rome, knowing that Jesus has the power of God Almighty to overthrow the oppressors. But that's not what is in his future, is it? Jesus tells him, you will deny me. Three times you will deny me before morning. John 18, we have the uh, trial, the midnight, early morning, illicit trial of Christ. And three times during this trial, this, this moment, three times somebody recognizes Peter and says, aren't you the guy with him? No, it's, no, it's not me. Another time he's standing over a fire, over the hot coals. I think you're the guy with him. No, it wasn't me. I told you it wasn't me. And on the third time he denied Jesus, he heard the rooster crow. He's devastated. He runs off. Jesus dies alone on the cross. Peter was called by the Lord himself. Peter was the one who confessed that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, the Christ. Peter was the man who for a moment walked on water. It's the same Peter who was included on a trip up a mountainside. Up that mountainside, not only did they have a time of special prayer, but they also had a time where they saw Jesus in a new light, where they saw Jesus standing around having a, being conversant with Moses and Elijah. It was Peter who wanted to say, let's stay here forever. Let me build us a shelter so that we can just do, keep doing this. These were Peter's experiences. This was Peter's journey with Jesus. This was Peter's heights and depths, but this is also the same Peter who Jesus said, get behind me, 
Satan. Because you are asking me to do something I am not here to do. You are trying to force me into a mold of Messiah that I am not willing to fulfill. And then ultimately, this is the Peter who denied his friend and his rabbi and his Lord. But Jesus calls him to breakfast. And again, we've learned throughout the past number of weeks that you don't really eat with someone you don't want to eat with. You don't eat with someone you don't want to be associated with. And we all know how some of us or some friends, you might have some friends that you know, and maybe you might even be leaning towards this kind of a person where you're a great and loyal friend, but if they betray you, they are, what's the phrase? Uh, Dead to me. I've used that phrase jokingly with friends, but never in, in, in reality, and yet... There are ways that people can hurt you that create such a wall that they are effectively non-existent to you again. And honestly, I I wouldn't blame Jesus if on that moment you're going to deny me three times and you're going to disqualify yourself. I know we've been through a lot, but you weren't there when I really needed you. You boasted about a lot of things, but your, your, your words came up empty. You, we could understand if, if Peter did not make the cut and they had to replace two disciples to round out the 12. But is that how Jesus treated him? Come on over, Peter. <laughs> you also notice how Peter's reaction was. Once he realized that he was about 100 yards offshore and realized that it was Jesus on the shore, he quickly threw on his cloak and dove in. I'm just going to be honest. Those are one of those Bible scenes that I would have loved to have seen. There's got to be some wonderful, joyful, comedic value in this. But he goes and he rushes up and he comes to breakfast. That's the setting that brings us to this moment. All the great heights that Peter had, but also the great depths that were culminating in his denying him three times on the night of his crucifixion. Well, let's take notice of another detail in this story. Jesus invites them to bring some fish. We're going to eat. And it was a good thing because Jesus has helped them catch big fish. Lots of them, 153. They had plenty to go around. They could have fed a a, a small or even medium-sized village with that much of a catch in one net. But what does John tell us? When they arrived on the beach... Jesus had already lit a fire and was already cooking some fish. I'm just curious, where did he get it? How did he start the fire? Did he go and make the provisions and just get it going? Like in our house, we have an internal wood-burning stove that we heat our lower part of the house with. And we try not to let the coals burn out. Because when the coals are there, you just get it, you stoke it, you get them piled up again, and you put some wood on top, and you wait a little bit, and all of a sudden, poof, there's new fire. Is that how Jesus did? Or did he do one of those, um, well, Jesus moments post-resurrection? I just think it'd be kind of funner if Jesus just said, fire. I don't know. If he just said, fish. And there they are. Skillet. There it is. I don't know. But what we do know is Jesus did not need them to provide the morning's meal. Jesus provides all that they needed. Jesus did another Jesus providing thing for them, before them, which alerted them to who he was. 
but he didn't need it to feed them breakfast. Tom Wright said this, how dreadfully easy it is for Christian workers to get the impression that we've got to do it all. God, we imagine, is waiting passively for us to get on with things. And if we don't organize it, it won't happen. If we don't tell people the good news, they won't hear it. If we don't change the world, it won't be changed. Then he said, what a load of rubbish. That's why I wanted to quote him on that, because I thought that was pretty funny. That Tom, N.T. Wright, Tom Wright's like, what a load of rubbish. The idea that God needs us and is sitting back passively. Now, what he's not doing is calling us to say, don't participate. He's not calling us to be passive. He's not calling us, but do not place ourselves ahead of God. Do not place ourselves in the place where we recognize that or we believe that God needs us in order to accomplish his will. It's a weird balance there. There's a tightrope to walk there, isn't there? Of being a participant in what God is doing, but not getting ahead and thinking that we have to provide all the goods. One of the ways that you can best assuredly keep yourself in the right check is through prayer. And I don't mean the typical prayer of, okay, we've got the plan, um, uh, Lord bless this day, uh, thank you for all that's been happened, and uh, just, uh, yeah, bless it. You know, that, that, that kind of uh, little quick baptism of the event after you've already done all the work. I'm talking prayer before, prayer during, and prayer after. Making sure that you're in not only in the place, in, but also the timing of God's will for what he wants done. And what that takes is a lifetime of practicing that so that we can do what? Discern and hear God's voice in that moment. How do we know are we ahead of, well, we learn to hear his voice. And then the other aspect of it, and beyond prayer, is doing service together. It's amazing to me how clearly and often God speaks through one of us to each other. Have you experienced that? That the word of the Lord, the encouragement, the timing, the, the, the direction you needed came from uh, a brother or a sister in Christ. It came from someone you didn't necessarily expect it, or maybe it came from someone you did. It came from a time of reading God's word. It came from a time of discussing it. It came from a, a sermon that you heard on a radio. It came from uh, actually attending church and hearing something and then remembering it later in that time and moment that you needed it. It's good for us to remember that it's easy for us to get the impression that we've got to do it all, but instead we have to work with God and be in his presence and just allow him to do what he's going to do through us. So through prayer and community and seeking discerning will of God, we know what we are to do. But we don't want to get into the point where we try to upstage God. And if we do try, well, rarely are we sufficient or successful in such an endeavor. Now we move into the part of the passage where Peter sits down and has breakfast that's when Jesus begins the real purpose of this meeting. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than making a good living? Do you love me more than your old vocation that's, well, something you know? Of course, you know that I love you. Well, feed my, feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
for a second time. You know I love you. Take care of my sheep. A third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? As you can imagine, if someone you dearly love questions you, even after you've already answered them, not once but twice, questions you a third time, do you love me? He's hurt. You know all things and you know that I love you. Go feed my sheep. Interestingly, I think that's three times that he's asked, I think, to make up for each one of the denials. He confesses again, yes, I see you and I know you and I love you to make up for each time he said, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. There are times where we want to get into the question of the Greek language in this text. You see, because at the first time Jesus says, do you agape love me? And he answers, I philo, love you. And then the second time Jesus said, do you agape love me? And he says, I philo, love you. And the third time Jesus says, do you philo, love me? And he says, I philo, love you. Um, and if you know that, ever heard a sermon talking about the Greek language has three different words, at least three different words for love. There's eros, which is romantic uh, sexual love. Uh, there's philo, which is, you know, Philadelphia. We all know that one, city of brotherly love. Um, unless you cheer for the opposing team, and then, you know, it's city of brotherly shove. Um, there's a story I had in my first weeks of being in Philadelphia, trying to find my way from one train to another. And uh, I said something about some city of brotherly love to the attendant. And, and then he jumped up, and he had words for me, too. I don't really know. It felt, it felt good. But then somebody helped me find my way to the train, and it was. It worked out. It was... Be good. You see, that city of brotherly love is a sense where we look out for one another, that koinonia, that kind of community understanding of we are in this all together. We are yoked together. It's, philo is not a weak version of love. It's actually a very strong and bonded, uh, tied together form of love. And then there's agape love, that, that unconditional love, that love of a mother looking down at a newborn baby. That love of a, of a family member holding someone as they are passing into the great beyond. Those are some moments where we can glimpse of that unconditional kind of love. And we have set up in our culture, maybe in our Christian culture, that there's a, a ranking that the physical love is the lowest form and then brotherly love is second and then agape love is, is the pinnacle. Um, but the text doesn't follow that. It doesn't support that hierarchy. Because Jesus says agape, unconditional, do you unconditionally love me? Of course I love you. You're my friend. Do you unconditionally love me? Of course I love you. We are friends, is how this answer goes. Are, and he's like, are we friends? Are we together? Do you love me? Yes, we are together. We are friends. Do you love me? And I love the fact that it ends with the philo twice because it's about, isn't just about an unconditional because I can feel very unconditionally loving towards someone and not feel yoked together with them. Have you ever experienced that? Where you can ideal, idealistically love someone, but not in the trenches? Not in the moment? Not in the reality? But Jesus brings it to the philo, the Philadelphia, the friendship yoked together in this moment, here and now kind of love. Because Jesus needs Peter back on the team and ready for his work that he's going to do. He needs him here in the moment, not just in eternity. He needs them brotherly, loving, together. 
So I don't put a lot of stock in the idea that there's a huge spiritual difference, significant uh, extra meaning for us between the agape and the philo in this one. It's love is love, and he's being questioned three times. Three times you denied me, so three times I ask you, do you love me? And he says, yes, I do. And each time he's then commissioned again, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. In John 10, we get this picture, this beautiful picture that Jesus tells about himself, that he is what? He is the good shepherd who tends the flock that God calls and gives him. Peter, I'm passing the staff on to you. Feed my sheep. He's asked, do you love me? And he, sure, I'm thinking, well, I blew it. He could have left, I blew it. I failed. He could have been thinking, I ruined every chance. He could have been thinking, everybody knows what I did. How can I join the, the sheep feeding leadership team again? How can I do that? They, they all heard me. They all know I ran. They heard me brag and brag and brag about how tough I was going to be. And then they saw my true colors, and I turned yellow and ran. But Jesus called and commissioned him again. The first time they laid down the nets, come, follow me. And they followed. And for three years, they were with him, walking and serving and doing and learning and ups and downs and failures and successes and, and beauties that happened and, and marvels and things they could not even ex explain or understand until later when the Holy Spirit opened their eyes to it. And yet, Jesus calls him again to the work of the kingdom. Feed my sheep. And he's carrying on the great work of the great shepherd himself. So friends, I think this is what all, all of our Christian experience is built upon. I think this story exemplifies all, anyone who does a, a work in a ministry around the church, anyone who does a, a, a greeting someone in the name of the Lord, anyone who uh, takes, answers a call to either uh, leading a Bible study or even all the way up to vocational ministry, See, Jesus sees that in all of you, all of us, there is a love for him. If you confess and know Jesus, there is a seed of love, no matter how large or how small. And no matter how many times we've denied him, or how many times we've blown it, how many times we've failed, how many times we've messed up, Jesus wants to find that seed of love for him inside of you. And he wants you to express it today. He wants to heal the hurts. He wants to forgive the failures. He wants to send you to do his work in his power. Why? I don't know. I don't know why God keeps giving me more chances when I, well, know better. Have you ever said that to yourself? Why? Well, it's hard to confess that sin again because I, what? Know better. Have you ever felt that? that uh, how many times can Jesus forgive me? Have we crossed the 70 times 7 threshold? If you want to be literalist about it. Which, by the way, don't take that passage. I mean, it's metaphoric saying there's an infinite number of forgivenesses. But I'm here to tell you today, if you feel like you're being put on the bench for Jesus... 
listen for your name to be called. Listen for your name to be called and say, get in the game. I see you. Oh, I know, I know, I know you messed up. I know you're not in game shape. But I know you love me. Do you love me? Yes? All right. I got, I got something for you to do. I got someone for you to, to care for. I have someone for you to love. I have someone for you to forgive. I have someone for you to offer a healing word to them as you are also receiving healing from me. This is God's call for the Christian. Because for some reason, with God being able to do all that is mystical and magical, and, and if you look at that, he created, he spoke and creation came into being, and, and yet he's chosen to make his good news seeable, tangible, and knowable through us. There are times, honestly, where I think he could have chosen a better plan. I'm not trying to disparage you all or myself. I just know you all and myself. And I know that there are probably more dynamic ways of expressing good news. But what has God chosen? Through you, through me. So let's, let's walk this, this path with Peter. Let us sit down at the table and have breakfast with Jesus. Let us own up and be honest. Yes, have I, if, you have, if you have to confess that you failed him, then confess it. Yeah, God, I, I denied you. I remember a time when I was 19, I was working in a, in a deli in between uh, college, and there was this lady who had a hard, hard life, and she, was, she just looked at me, Ken, you're always happy. And I'll be honest, I was in a spiritually, wonderfully good time of life. God was really new, and his calling on my life was real, and I was growing, and I was studying, and I was learning, and I was doing all this, and I was, I was very much so in a very good spiritual place. And she said to me, Ken, you're just always happy. Why? Never ask the young preacher, why are you always happy? But let me tell you about the joy of the Lord. Let me tell you. So you know what I said to her? I said, I don't know. I guess I'm just happy. Yeah, Bob, I did that. Blew it. Do you think I'm ready to get back in the game again? Do you think he's going to trust me with another opportunity? Uh, the answer to that is yes. So no matter what you've done to miss your chance to bless somebody with the love of Jesus, confess it. Let's pick up and move on because Jesus wants you to see and feel and acknowledge the love you have for him. And then he wants you to express it and be part of the healing of this world and be part of the foretaste of God's kingdom so that those around us will see light in a world of darkness and experience life in a world of death. And that is his call on every single one of us, however he's gifted us to be a part of it. Amen? So we have a lot to be thankful for. And let us go to the Lord in prayer and give thanks. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to Peter. Lord, we, can under, we could understand if you disqualified him from the call that you gave to him before, but you did not. And so, Lord, we confess this morning we love you, and we ask also that you help us to love you more. 
And Lord, we heed your call to serve and feed sheep. And Lord, yet we, we are the sheep. And so Lord, as, as we seek to be fed by you, help us to encourage others. Help us to be part of your master plan of healing and mercy and good news in Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.